Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Hello and welcome to what I think is episode 73 of To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. I am Jim Morrow. I'm a family doctor in North Georgia. Uh, with what was Morrow Family Medicine and coming in Milton, Georgia, and now very happy to be part of Village Medical, an ever-growing national uh, primary care group. <clears throat> we are, uh, as Morrow Family Medicine was, we are bringing care back to health care. And I, I think uh, if you are an older person, especially if you have uh, been in the hospital, especially, you're going to find that the care that's provided to you and the access and the information provided you from Village Medical is dramatically different from what any other independent practices could ever offer. Uh, my producer, John Ray, is not in his luxurious home studio today. He is in California doing a remote because that's the way he rolls. He's nationwide now, and he's uh, creating podcasts all over the country for for folks, and I'm excited to be one of them, even though I'm right here in little old Georgia. And I've been starting the podcast for the last year, I suppose, with usually a, an update on COVID or something about COVID. And if you're not sick to death of COVID, then you're just not paying attention. But we're in a little bit of a lull right now, kind of the eye of the hurricane, if you will, because I'm sure it's going to be back. But right now, it's not too bad. <clears throat> I'm very happy about that. I've not had to have the argument about the vaccine too many times lately, in large part, probably because I'm exhausted from it. And I just kind of say, oh, well, okay. But if you're not vaccinated, I would encourage you to get vaccinated. If you're paying attention to the vaccine, you know that there has been a second booster that's been approved by the FDA for use in America. And the vast majority of you listening do not need that second booster. Uh, that's hopefully good news for you. Uh, it's, it's good news for me because it's something I don't have to try to corral people to do. But really, if you've had an organ transplant, if you're currently doing chemotherapy, <clears throat> uh, you probably do need that second booster. If you're over 80, you might consider it or have a conversation with your family doctor about it. Uh, but it's not an absolute if you're over 80. Uh, but that really it's for people who have a seriously suppressed immune system and a documented suppression of their immune system. So hopefully you're vaccinated. Hopefully you'll get all three, but right now, hang on to that fourth and keep that in your pocket. We don't need to do that quite yet. Uh, it's hard to imagine the time won't come, but not quite yet. So my efforts to find topics that people might find interesting landed me this week on caffeine. Caffeine is most people's drug of choice, if you think about it that way. And if you don't want to think about it that way, I really don't blame you at all, but it really is most people's drug of choice. <clears throat> it's a naturally occurring stimulant. It's most commonly found in tea and coffee, and it's in a few other plants. And it works by stimulating the brain and the central nervous system helping you stay alert and preventing the onset of tiredness. And everybody that's ever had caffeine and is affected by it, and everybody's not, but anybody that's ever been affected by it knows that very thing. And its first use has been tracked back to 
a tea made as far back as 2700 BC. So it's been around a long time. Now, coffee, where, where most people get, I'm willing to say most people get the majority of their caffeine, was reportedly discovered many, many years after that, after the tea first was, by an Ethiopian shepherd who noticed that his goats had extra energy if they ate coffee beans. I don't know if they fainted faster or slower or what the deal was, but at any rate, they had extra energy for sure. And then caffeinated soft drinks hit the market in the late 1800s. Energy drinks followed not too horribly long after that. And nowadays, 80% of the world's population consumes some sort of caffeinated product every day. And in North America and adults, that number is as high as 90%. So everybody knows that caffeine kind of pumps you up, kind of gets you going a little bit. Well, how does it work? Well, it gets very quickly absorbed from the gut into the bloodstream. And then it goes to the liver and in the liver, like many, many things that you put in your body, it gets into the liver and it's broken down into compounds. And these compounds can affect the function of various organs. And the main effect of course, is on the brain and its function in the brain is that it blocks the effect of a chemical called adenosine, which is a neurotransmitter that relaxes the brain and makes you feel tired. So if you block that effect, you're not, as relaxed and you're not as tired. So normally adenosine levels build up over the day. And that makes sense if you think about it, making you increasingly more tired and causing you to want to go to sleep. And caffeine helps you stay awake by connecting the adenosine receptors in the brain without ever activating them. So they don't get activated. The adenosine doesn't do its job. You don't get tired. And this blocks that effect leading to reduced tiredness. It may also increase adrenaline levels and also some brain activity of neurotransmitters, dopamine and norepinephrine. Now, if you listened to uh, a podcast early on in the series, talked about depression and dopamine and norepinephrine and so forth. So those are neurochemicals that when depressed are important in depression. Uh, and if uh, elevated, it can actually uh, stimulate you. So it further stimulates the brain and promotes a state of more alertness, a state of arousal, if you will, and, and concentration and focus. Because it affects your brain, caffeine is often referred to as a psychoactive drug. Now, I personally don't think that's a great label for it because it makes it sound like it's a terrible thing. And you're going to learn here in a little bit that I don't necessarily think that's the case. So I'm not crazy about referring to it as a psychoactive drug, although in the technical sense of the word, it really is. And it also works very quickly. And I think most people already know that. So if the amount found in just a cup of coffee can take as short a period of time as 20 minutes to get in the bloodstream and an hour to get through your liver and get broken down and start having these compounds have their effect. So it just does not take a long time for it to, to work. Now, I mentioned that it's in various foods, and caffeine is found in seeds and nuts and leaves of certain plants. And these uh, natural sources are harvested and processed to produce caffeinated foods and beverages, teas, coffee, that kind of thing. So if you look at the different 
drinks in most cases or compounds that have caffeine, if you rank them, espresso has between 240 and 720 milligrams of caffeine in an eight ounce serving. Now, most people don't do eight ounces of espresso, but that's still in eight ounces. All of these are eight ounces and espresso is 240 to 720. Coffee is 100 to 200 milligrams. Energy drinks are 50 to 160 milligrams, but they're usually more than eight ounces. So you get more caffeine in an energy drink. In brewed tea, it's typically between 40 and 120. Soft drinks, really not that much, 20 to 40. Decaffeinated coffee. Now, this is something I didn't know until not too terribly long ago. Decaffeinated coffee is not caffeine-free coffee. It's lower caffeine. It has between 3 and 12 milligrams of caffeine in an 8-ounce serving. Cocoa beverage or hot chocolate, that kind of thing, 2 to 7, and chocolate milk also 2 to 7 milligrams. So espresso, as you'd think, has the most. And energy, energy drinks, by the time you drink the entire drink, are right up there pretty high as well. Now, some foods can also contain caffeine. An ounce of milk chocolate contains up to 15 milligrams. And an ounce of dark chocolate has as much as 35 milligrams of caffeine. And it's also found in some prescription medicines, some over-the-counter medicines, cold, flu, pain medications, that kind of thing. So you have to be very careful if for any reason you're trying to avoid caffeine because it might be hidden in something that you're just not aware of. Caffeine, I mentioned, helps with focus and concentration. So it can help on your brain function and it can also help with mood because it has the ability to block adenosine. It all goes back to that. This causes a, a relatively a relative increase in the other molecules. I mentioned dopamine and norepinephrine earlier, those kinds of things. And this change in brain function is thought to benefit your mood and make you sharper, temporarily sharper, but sharper. And one review uh, that I saw reported that participants in, in that after participants ingested up to 450 milligrams of caffeine, they did have improved alertness, documented improved alertness, short-term recall, and reaction time. Now, what I haven't seen is the studies talking about what happens to your reaction time after that caffeine effect wanes, because I do think that what you're going to find is if you're at baseline before and you jump up, then when that effect's gone, you're going to be lower than your baseline for a bit before you get back up to your normal. There's a study that linked drinking two to three cups of caffeinated coffee, where you get two to 300 milligrams of caffeine per day. They found a 45% lower risk of suicide. And you're going to wonder, and I'm going to wonder what the relationship is. And, and there are not studies to tell us that. These are just things that they found when people consume caffeine. Another study said that 13% less people were depressed if they were drinking caffeine versus not. But when it comes to mood, more caffeine is not necessarily better. The second cup of coffee produced no further benefits unless it was consumed eight hours after the first cup. And that's just rarely the case. 
So you might benefit some from a cup of coffee, but thinking that you drink the entire pot at one sitting and you do better is not necessarily the case. But speaking of that pot of coffee, if you drink between three to five cups of coffee a day or more than three cups of tea a day, they've been shown to have reduced rates of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's by up to 60% decrease. So there's always will be, always has been, always will be a world of things we don't understand about the brain. And this brings that out, in my opinion. We know that it stimulates things. We know it makes you a little bit sharper and that kind of thing. But this is, to me, very interesting. But I do not think it's a reason for people to start drinking three pots of coffee a day. Uh, I'm thrilled with the idea that people might have lower rates, especially of suicide and other things. But it's like everything else. You have to be careful. Because of its ability to stimulate the central nervous system, the brain, caffeine can increase metabolism by up to 11% and fat burning by up to 13%. So maybe I do want to drink three pots of coffee a day. That might make a little bit more sense for me in particular. Practically speaking, though, consuming 300 milligrams of caffeine a day, that's two to three cups, may allow you to burn an extra 80 calories a day. So it makes sense. And, and people have always said, you know, they were more active and so forth. If you're more active, you're going to burn more calories. And this just kind of puts a, a note on that to me, that if you're taking in caffeine, then this is going to increase your focus, your concentration, your alertness, maybe your metabolism, maybe you move around more, maybe you lose a little bit of weight. But at the same time, there's so many other factors involved. Maybe you don't. Exercise performance has been increased using caffeine. When it comes to exercise, caffeine can increase the use of fat as fuel. And this is beneficial because it can help the glucose, the sugar, that's stored in your muscles to last longer because your muscles are going to use either the glucose, the sugar in the food that you take in, or fat stores for energy. And if you can direct them more towards the fat stores, then the energy is going to stay. I mean, the sugar is going to stay there longer, giving you more energy for longer from the food that you did eat. It delays the time it takes your muscles to reach exhaustion. And at the same time, caffeine can improve muscle contraction and increase tolerance to fatigue. And I think the increasing tolerance to fatigue goes along with the stimulation effect as well. Scientists have observed that doses of two milligrams per pound of body weight improved endurance performance up to 5% if you consume it an hour before the exercise. But doses as low as one and a half milligram per pound may be sufficient to get some benefit. So if you're a 150 pound person, you're looking at 225 milligrams. So that's a cup and a half or two of coffee to get some benefit like that. And also studies report similar benefits in team sports, high intensity workouts, resistant exercises, that kind of thing. 
and, and again, for the same reason, it just basically, I'm going to use the phrase hypes you up is a terrible phrase, but that's basically what we're getting around to. So one thing I thought was very interesting in doing some research is that caffeine may protect against heart disease and diabetes. And now, despite what you've heard, caffeine doesn't raise the risk of heart disease. In fact, evidence shows that 16 to 18% lower risk of heart disease in men and women who drink one to four cups of coffee a day. Some other studies showed that drinking two to four cups of coffee or green tea was linked to a reduced risk of stroke by about 20% reduced risk of stroke. Now, one thing caffeine can do that might not be great for you is it can raise your blood pressure slightly, but this effect really is, is small in most people, and it tends to fade if you consume caffeine regularly. One review noted that those people who drink the most coffee have up to a 29% lower risk of developing diabetes. I'm pretty sure they're not putting in their coffee what I tend to put in mine. But if you're talking about black coffee, that might be very good. And the less bad stuff you put in it, the better it is for you, obviously. But if you if you can come up with an almost 30% decreased risk of diabetes from drinking coffee, that's pretty impressive, in my opinion, especially where I practice, which is one of the highest diabetes rates in the country. So consuming decaffeinated coffee, I mentioned that it's not caffeine free drinking decaf coffee was also linked to a lower risk of diabetes. So the belief is that there's things in coffee that we just are not aware of that are having an impact. The, the change in diabetes rates was almost the same. In, co in coffee with and without caffeine. And we're, again, without caffeine is a nebulous term because it's still got some caffeine. In. So if you look at coffee in particular, not just caffeine, but just talking about coffee, it has other benefits that have been shown. Liver protection. Coffee reduces the risk of liver damage by as much as 84%. It might slow disease progression. It might improve treatment response to people who have a liver disease and lower the risk of premature death. Drinking coffee can decrease the risk of premature death by as much as 30%. And that's especially true if you're a woman or you're a person that has diabetes. So an effect on longevity there. Two to four cups of coffee a day can reduce liver cancer risk, specifically liver cancer risk, by up to 64% and colon cancer risk by 38%. Now, if many of you listening are, are my patients and you are, I know for a fact you're going to come in here next time I see you and say, I need to know where they got that data. And this is a culmination or a, an, an average of, many different studies over time, population health, if you will, skin protection. This is something you're not going to believe four or more cups of, co of caffeinated coffee a day can lower the risk of skin cancer by 
I know I have friends that are going to say that's because you're drinking so much caffeine, you're in the bathroom and you're not outside in the sun, but a 20% lower risk of skin cancer is a big deal. Again, especially in the South. Reducing the risk of MS, multiple sclerosis. Coffee drinkers can have a 30% lower risk of MS. Gout. If you drink four cups of coffee a day, you can have a significantly reduced risk of gout. And consuming three cups of coffee a day for as few as three weeks can increase the amount and the activity of the beneficial bacteria in your gut. So there are some great reasons to be stopping at the coffee counter and reloading on your cup for the day, because those are impressive numbers. I think they're very impressive numbers. So let's talk about safety because people feel like caffeine is just a horrible thing. Caffeine consumption is generally considered very safe, although it is habit forming. And some of the side effects linked to excess intake are anxiety and restlessness, tremors, rapid heartbeat or irregular heartbeat, and trouble sleeping. And anybody that's ever gotten hyped up on caffeine is very well aware of that. And too much caffeine can promote headaches, migraines, high blood pressure. But the withdrawal of caffeine also is very well known to cause headaches and migraines in particular. Caffeine does cross the placenta, and it can increase the risk of miscarriage or of having a low birth weight baby. So pregnant moms absolutely need to be aware, need to continue to be incredibly careful about caffeine. And again, I want to reiterate, decaffeinated coffee. Caffeine does interact with some medications. There's some muscle relaxers and other meds that you might be taking that if you're taking too much in the way of caffeine can affect their, those drug effects and those drug levels in your body. Now, if you look at how much caffeine is generally okay, the U.S. Department of Agriculture considers a daily intake of 400 milligrams of caffeine to be safe. So that's in the neighborhood of three to four cups of coffee. Uh, it's uh, a little bit more than one energy drink, probably. It's, it's worth noting, though, that fatal overdoses have been reported with single doses of 500 milligrams of caffeine. A lot of you are not old enough to have ever seen no-dose tablets, but no-dose tablets, I'm pretty sure, are still available in a lot of the convenience stores, truck stops, and so forth, and they're just pure caffeine. And you have to be incredibly careful when you're doing something like that, because that's a, it's not only a high dose, but it's also a, a, an all at one time dose. It's a sudden jolt of that amount and you just have to be careful. So it's recommended that you limit your caffeine intake to 200 milligrams at one time so that you don't run into that problem. And again, if you're pregnant, just be incredibly careful about the caffeine that you take in. So the bottom line is caffeine is not as unhealthy as it was once believed. The evidence I'm presented here says that really it might be just the opposite. So it's safe to consider your daily cup of coffee or tea as an enjoyable way to promote good health. And 
really, I, I think it's like everything else, moderation, especially moderation. So that's a look at what caffeine is doing inside your body, mainly inside your liver and your brain. It is a very, it's, it's ubiquitous. It's, it's literally everywhere. And it's very easy to get. Uh, but be careful if you're trying to avoid caffeine that you're not doing decaf coffee because clearly that's not caffeine-free coffee. And I hope that uh, that you will find that this gives you the opportunity to enjoy that cup of coffee when you might want to without having to worry about the effect it's going to have. But stop at a reasonable time. In John's absence, we're not going to have questions today, but uh, he will be back next time. We've got some guests lined up for the next several podcasts or two, and we're going to look forward to having them. But for right now, that is to your health.